All right. Well, I'm so excited to be standing up here to get to talk to you today. A um, little bit nervous, per usual. You know, I was actually talking to quite a few people. Like, but you better pray for me. I'm going to get up there and pass out. Uh, but it's just because once once I'm 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 taking this very seriously. This is something that means an incredible amount to me, and it's not something that I take lightly to stand up here and get to speak to you. And so, in the moments before that happens. But I'm just, the enemy's coming and like, you're going to absolutely black out. Uh, you're going you're gonna to lock your knees and you're just going to fall over and they're going to have to drag you off the stage. Clay should have tied a rope to my leg like when they go into the Holy of Holies. That way if I black out, he can just pull me off to the side and try to, try to revive it one time. Um, but I'm going to talk to you this morning. Um, I, I've got a sermon I, I titled Intended to Harm. Um, honestly, Clay might preached it right then, but we're going to try uh, to go a little deeper and a little further uh, than, than what Clay initially said this morning. Um, and what I want to think about as we get started is a topic that, that kind of is a little confusing. It's, it's, it's terminology that we use in the church that sometimes pushes people away. It sometimes brings in insecurities. It sometimes makes us wonder, is this even for me? And, and we use the words... God's calling, and it confuses us sometimes because we don't really know what that means to have a calling. Um, we don't really know where to start when we're first beginning our walk with Christ. We don't really uh, fully understand what, what a calling means in our life, what that entails, what that's going to look like, and, and it can be a little bit daunting. It can be a little bit scary to think, I, there's a calling in my life that I don't really know what it is right now for something that I, I don't know what God's going to require of me. And, and so I want to start here and talk about what I believe God's calling looks like at the beginning and what it looks like as it grows in your life. And so here's the way that I've defined it. God's calling is a process where God calls and draws us to himself for his purpose for us. Okay. So that's where it starts. This is where it begins, is God calls and draws us into himself to give us his purpose for us. And that's why ultimately the calling of God is in our life is where we start to get closer to God. We start to build a relationship with God. We start to know God more. We start to read his word. We start to spend time in his presence. And through that, we, we are offered forgiveness, we're offered salvation, we're offered um, that relationship. Our lives begin to change. We, we are renewed, our heart is changed, our minds is changed, our spirit is brought to life. Um, and that's where everything begins. And it often leads to a job or a task or something that God wants us to accomplish, God wants us to do. There is a purpose that is God-given for you, for, for you to do something. And every person in this room has been called. Every person in this room has a calling. And that's where it really kind of scares us is because we think that we're talentless. We think that we have no skill. We think that we can't play an instrument. We might not be a great public speaker. We might not be able to play the drums and make them sound wonderful. Um, and so we think that we really don't have a calling because we're, we're not a musician. We're not a worship leader. We're not... We're not serving in a pastoral role. We don't think that we can preach. And that's just not the case. Um, those are a few parts of the body of, of the church. But if, that was the, if we only had preachers, what good would we be? Uh, we have to have more than that. And so 
there are all of these glorified like roles of people who stand in front of you and they're the people that that you see and that you hear and we think that our calling is going to make us become one of those things and I was I was talking to Sabrina about our small group the other day uh, we have an incredible small group if you're not in one you really should consider it um, but she was talking about how she doesn't really know like what what her role needs to be other than like in in the small group she is opening her house to us she's inviting us in um, and we've we've went to Savannah and Trav's house also uh, but like that in and of itself is a is a God-given purpose to invite people into your house to provide an atmosphere for them to come and have small group that is a calling for you in your life that is a purpose that God has given you and so there are there are multiple different places where we can put God's plan for us into action. And so ultimately, the calling that God has for you is for each and every part of your life to be faith-filled. God wants to be in and about every part of your life. So when you are living your calling, when you are walking deeper with God, when you're in this, in this, this faith-filled calling, God permeates and be becomes part of every bit of your life. And so we're going to look at somebody in the Old Testament that I believe highlights this attribute. This was not a pastor. He was not a preacher. He never preached a message about, about God. He never um, sung a worship song that, that, well, he probably did, but it doesn't really talk about it. Um, he was just a man of faith. And so it just highlights the fact that you can have a calling and you don't have to sell your house and move to a third world country. You can have a calling from God and you don't have to stand on the stage and, and speak and preach. You have a calling in your life that God has given you. You have a purpose for your life and it, it is going to require God to infiltrate your heart and change your life. And so the person that we're going to talk about today, his name is Joseph. You might have heard of him. Um, he's in the book of Genesis. If you aren't real familiar with the Bible, Genesis is the very first book of the Bible. Um, so we're going to start today in Genesis chapter 37. If you have your Bible, you can be turning there. But Joseph is, is a man who, honestly, he had a terrible life for the most part. Um, he, he went through some really bad things. And so Joseph, uh, we, we pick up with Joseph in, in chapter 37, um, and we find out that Joseph is one of a plethora of children. Um, he's one of Jacob's sons. Jacob had 12 children, so he's, he's part of the tribe of Israel, one of Jacob's kids. And he was a child of Jacob's old age. So Jacob was getting older. He had Joseph. Um, he had him. And he loved Joseph. Joseph was favored above his brothers. He was given a fancy coat. You guys have heard of the coat of many colors. And when in those times, they were, they were shepherds. And anybody that wore a fancy coat didn't have manual labor to do, right? When you wear a fancy coat, you don't have to work and get your hands dirty as much. And his brothers didn't have a fancy coat, but Joseph did. And so they, they honestly hated him. They, they harbored some jealousy because Joseph was favored much more than they were. Joseph was loved. And so this is where we're going to take off. Um, Joseph is loved. His brothers are a little bit upset with him. And Joseph starts having some dreams about the calling in God that God has put into his life. So it starts in verse 5. It says, Joseph had a dream. And when he told it to his brothers, they hated him 
all the more. Okay, so like we're, we're starting off, it's already bad. Uh, verse 6 says, he said to them, listen, I had a dream. We were binding sheaves of grain out in the field when suddenly my sheaf rose up and stood upright and your sheaves gathered around and they bowed down to mine. <laughs> His brother said, so you, you intend to reign over us? Are you actually going to rule us? And they hated him all the more because of what his dream had said. So dreams, they served a, a prophetic purpose. And so this is Joseph essentially going to his brothers and saying, Listen, I have had a word from God. I have a prophecy that I am going to be more than you. I'm going to be above you. I'm your younger brother, but I'm going to be more important than you. And they, they don't like that. Um, so if, if Joseph was a smart man, he would have quit there. Uh, but instead, he has another dream. And so in this other dream, he goes to his brothers and he says, Listen, I've had another dream. And this time, the sun and the moon and the 11 stars were bowing down to me. So the sun represents his father. The moon represents his mother. The 11 stars represent his brothers. Right? This is his family. And so more so than just his brothers... Now he's bringing in his parents, his lineage. And he says this to his father and his brothers in verse 10. And his father rebuked him. So now dad's mad uh, because dad wants to be the big dog, right? This is Jacob. Um, and he says, what is this dream that you've had? Will, you, will your mother and I and your brothers actually bow down to the ground before you? And his brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept it in the back of his mind. Right, So not only has Joseph went and teed off his brothers and made them mad, but he's been openly rebuked by the father that loves him more than all of his other brothers. So Joseph, he knows in his heart that God has a purpose and a plan for his life. He knows that it's a big deal. He knows that he has something that's going to happen to him that's going to elevate his position. He knows that there are plans for his life that he doesn't yet understand. He doesn't know the details. He doesn't know where this is going to take him. All he knows at this point is that he has faith that God has a purpose and a plan for his life, and he is willing to walk into it. And so sometimes we don't know the big details. We don't know exactly what's going to happen. We don't have a step-by-step -step play. And all we can do is prepare ourselves to be faithful to where God is taking us. And so, the thing that I want to kind of challenge you today is that your calling in your life will be as big as you allow it to be, okay? So, as much as you will let God have control, he will, he will use you in that. And so, Joseph is saying, I will let God do whatever he wants. I'm going to follow this purpose. I'm going to step in to this, this plan that God has for me. And what we see start to happen is that the enemy hates it when God's people start living for their purpose. Absolutely, right? God is in control, and God wants to give us this power over our lives. And the enemy will come out of nowhere because he hates it when God's people start stepping into their purpose and stepping into their power. And we start to see this in Joseph's life. As he tells his brother that there's a purpose for him, there's a plan, that he has a dream, and the enemy is going to come and try to destroy it. Now, his brothers, they're not the enemy. The bro his brothers are not 
the devil. They're not demon-possessed. They're, they're not bad people. But instead, they're, they're misunderstood. They don't really understand what's going on. They, they're jealous that Joseph is more loved. They feel like they're a little ignored because Joseph is the, is, is the one who gets all the attention. They disagree that Joseph is going to be more important than them. They're not the enemy, but the enemy is using it against Joseph, right? So like sometimes in our own lives, we have family members who disagree with us. We have friends who try to stop us from doing certain things. And it's not that we are, are like, it's not that they're our enemy, but the enemy uses them against us sometimes to try and plant seeds of doubt in our head, to try and discourage us from things. And so we're going to pick back up with Joseph um, in verse 19. Jacob is sending Joseph out to go check on his brothers. So now not only is Joseph the favorite, but Jacob says, go see what they're doing and come back and tell me. So he's just a snitch at this point, right? And like all my kids in high school, snitches get stitches. It's like that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Like if somebody's doing something wrong, tell me about it so I can take care of it. Like I don't understand. Like, but anyway, so Joseph is that guy. Joseph is going out on his dad's word to see what his brothers are about. And he's going to come back and tell daddy what's going on, right? So um, before, we, before we take off in verse 19, I'll tell you kind of what's happening. His brothers are supposed to be in one place. And when Joseph gets there, they're not there anymore. They've moved on to another place. Um, and so he, he finds a man and he's like, hey, do you, do you know where my brothers are? They were supposed to be here tending the flock. And he says, oh, they've moved on to Dothan, which is about 13 to 15 miles down the road. So Joseph takes off in that direction. Now, all in all, this was a, a distance of somewhere between 50 to 65 miles that Joseph has traveled from his home to find his brothers. So 50 to 60 miles, it's going to take him a couple days to get there, a couple days to get back. It's a pretty lengthy journey when you're either on foot or on the back of a camel. And so he's making his way out to find his brothers, and they see him coming, and they're still mad. Some people, believe it or not, will hold a grudge. <laughs> against you if you do something that they don't like, uh, believe it or not. And so they see him coming, and they're mad about it. And they, they come up with a plan, and we read in verse 19, it says, Here comes that dreamer, they said to each other. They, I mean, like they, they've nicknamed it at this point. Here comes that dreamer. Come now, let's kill him. Throw him into one of these cisterns and say that a ferocious animal devoured him. Then we'll see what comes of his dreams. Right? Like, that's pretty harsh. That's pretty serious. Like, they, they dislike him so much at this point that they're willing to just absolutely murder him. And Joseph approaches. They grab a hold of him. They take his coat off of him. They don't kill him yet, but they throw him in this pit. And he's stuck down there, and he is just absolutely in turmoil. He is in the worst place that he's ever been. Um, Joseph is 17 at this point. He's 17 years old. He's a young man. He's got a whole life ahead of him. He's having big dreams. His brothers put him in a pit. And it's hard to imagine what was going through Joseph's mind. But it gets worse. Because if we read on, starting in verse 25... It says, as they sat down to eat their meal, they looked up and they saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead. Their camels were loaded with spices, balm, and myrrh, and they were on their way to take them down to Egypt. 
And Judah, who will, will like he, he appears all throughout uh, this story. Judah says to his brothers, what will we gain if we kill our brother and cover up his blood? Come, let's sell him to the Ishmaelites, not lay our hands on him. After all, he is our brother, our own flesh and blood. And his brothers agreed with him. So when the Midianite merchants came by, his brothers pulled Joseph out of the pit and they sold him for 20 shekels of silver to the Ishmaelites who took him to Egypt. So Joseph is now still alive, but his entire life has been stripped from him. And, and I imagine if I was Joseph in this position and I was 17 years old and I, I am now a slave that you would, you would feel like your entire potential has been robbed. You would feel like your entire future has been taken away from you. That your brothers are so mad at you that they, they literally robbed you of every bit of chance that you had at having a wonderful life. He's not going to be able to go and, and find a wife. He's not going to be able to have kids. He's going into slavery. He has no clue what's coming. He can't make his own choices. His life no longer belongs to him. And sometimes we get in this position where... When we're stepping into our purpose, the enemy wants to show up and discourage us, right? So this is, this is what I want us to, to think about at this point, is that the enemy is trying to discourage Joseph from his faithfulness, okay? The enemy is trying to discourage Joseph from picking up the power that God is trying to give him. This happens in our life too. These little seeds of discouragement show up when we start trying to take our faith seriously, when we start trying to walk, um, walk in our calling, when we start trying to pursue God more. These little seeds of discouragement show up and they say that you're not good enough. They say that you don't have any talents. They say, why would God even want to use somebody like you? And the enemy is ultimately trying to turn our attention away from God because we don't believe in ourselves and we don't believe in God's ability to use us. So the enemy shows up and he's discouraging. He's sending Joseph into slavery and Joseph is 17 years old at this point. And I want to highlight the fact that, that Joseph is, is on his way into slavery in verse one of chapter 39, the Bible says that Joseph was taken down to Egypt. Potiphar was an Egyptian there. He was one of the Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard. He, brought, he bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him there. And the Lord was with Joseph so that he prospered as he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. Joseph is a slave. Joseph does not own his own life. Joseph can't make his own decisions. Joseph gets sold into slavery, and he shows up to his new job, and he does his job. That sounds insane to think about. Uh, but he shows up, and I believe in my heart that Joseph's faithfulness to God gave him a can-do attitude that most of us in this room would no longer have with us. But Joseph shows up, and he's got a positive attitude. He comes in there, and he says, you know what? This is my situation now, but I believe that God's going to be able to use it. And as he does his job, he is blessed. As he shows up and he is a positive person, as he shows up and he is faithful to God, God uses that. In verse 3, 
we see that his master, Potiphar, sees that the Lord is with him and that the Lord is giving him success in all of these different things. And Joseph found favor in the eyes of his master and became his attendant. Potiphar put him in charge of everything in his household. He entrusted everything that he owned to Joseph. I know that we're reading a lot of scripture. Uh, we're going to continue to do it. We're, we're walking through this together. We're going to talk about the way that, that this happened. Um, and so right out, right out of the gate, as soon as he gets into Egypt, he's, he's working hard. He shows up. He's not allowing the enemy to discourage him. He's not allowing his eyes to be taken off of God. He's being faithful to God in everything that he does, and God is with him because of it. And so even in the midst of a terrible situation where Joseph's life has been stripped away from him, he is flourishing. He is, he is being taken care of by God. And Potiphar entrusts him with everything that he has. And it says in verse 5, From the time that he put him in charge of his household and all that he owned, the Lord blessed the household of the Egyptian because of Joseph. And the blessing of the Lord was on everything that Potiphar had, both in the house and in the field. So Potiphar left everything in Joseph's care with Joseph in charge. He did not concern himself with anything except for the food that he ate. And then, then we get this little bit of a gear shift right here. It says that Joseph was well-built and handsome. <laughs> uh, amen, right? I wish the Bible said that about me. Well, Matthew, babe. <laughs> well-built and handsome <laughs> uh, and like I'm like why did it say that <laughs> like why do we need to know that but at this point Joseph has probably been in Potiphar's house um, for about a year or so um, he's probably around 18 or 19 years old he's a young man he's well-built he's handsome He's out there catching the Egyptian lady's eyes, and he's about God's business. Everything that he's doing, he's blessed in. And so he is refusing to be distracted by the enemy. I mean, he's refusing to be discouraged by the enemy, so the enemy starts to change tactics and starts to send distractions. So all of my men in here, just think back to when you were 18 years old, when you were well-built and handsome back then, right? Like today, uh, I'm 32, not so well-built, not so handsome anymore. And, and Potiphar's wife shows up, and she takes notice of Joseph, and she says, come to bed with me, right? So here's what I want you to think about. Potiphar as an official of the Egyptian empire, was considered in a princely position below Pharaoh. So he was like Egyptian royalty. So Pharaoh was number one. He would have had the choice of the most beautiful woman in all of Egypt. And then underneath him would have been his princes or the royalty that takes care of business for him. And so Potiphar would have been an extremely powerful man who would have had the choice... Of all of the Egyptian women, he could have chose the one that was the most beautiful to him, and he would have brought her home to be his wife. So, not only is Joseph well-built and handsome, but there is this woman introduced, Potiphar's wife, who was beautiful. She was a woman of power. She was Potiphar's wife, and she says, come to bed with me, and she did not want to take a nap. Right? Like, in, in, yeah. 
She didn't want to take a nap. There was other things on her mind. If it was me, I'd be like, well, I am kind of tired. I guess I could go lay down for a little while. Like, I could nap on a, on a drop of a hat right now. But no, she was looking at this 18, 19-year-old, well-built and handsome boy, and she had something else in her mind. And so what I want you to realize is that when the enemy comes to discourage you, if you are unwilling to be discouraged... He's going to bring you a distraction that's going to take your mind off of what God has for you. Okay? If you will not be discouraged, he's going to try to distract you. He's going to come at you with a new job. He's going to come at you with another woman. He's going to come at you with a new friendship. He's going to come at you uh, with, with something that's going to pull you into an addiction. He's going to come at you with all of these different things, new hobbies, new callings. He's going to try to act like God's pulling you into a different direction because he wants you to lose focus of what God's purpose is for your life and take you into a different direction that's ultimately no good for you. And that's kind of hard to chew on a little bit because I know that as Joseph being a young boy, a young man, standing in the presence of a powerful, beautiful woman, that he was probably tempted beyond what we could believe. But he did not give in to that distraction because these, these distractions from the enemy, they last for a little while. They're okay for a little while. They're great for a little while. But when they lose their luster, it leaves us empty. And so Joseph refuses her. He refuses her. He won't even look, make eye contact with her. When she shows up, he looks at the ground. He's polite to her, but he, he keeps refusing her advances. He's staying strong, and Potiphar's wife starts to get mad about it because she's used to getting her way. She's used to getting whatever she wants. And so in verse 10, it says that day after day, she spoke to Joseph. Day after day, she comes up and she's trying to seduce Joseph. She's trying to get his attention. She's trying to win his affection. And day after day, he refuses to go to bed with her or even be with her. Like Joseph knows that if he's in her presence, he might get weak. So he, he cuts out. Like he'll say, no, listen, I can't. And he goes to the other side. He goes and he stays about his business and he removes himself away from that temptation of distraction because we're only so strong. Our flesh is weak. Like we have to put ourselves in a place where we can focus on what God has for us and not what the enemy's trying to tempt us with. And so she gets mad. She gets mad about it. She comes up and she rips off his shirt. She catches him and grabs his cloak and, and he tries to get away. She threatens to kill him and she keeps his cloak and he runs for his life because he knows that he can't put himself in that situation, that God has more for him than what she is offering. And so in her grief, in her rage, in her anger, she takes that cloak to her husband and she says, this Hebrew slave that you brought in here is making a fool out of me. He tried to force himself on me and I, I screamed for help and he ran away and left his cloak. And Potiphar, as, as the, the man of the household, isn't going to let that stand. Even though he trusts Joseph, even though he has put Joseph over his entire house, he says, Joseph, I've got to get rid of you because you're causing a disruption in my household. And he ends up sending Joseph to prison. And we see that Joseph has been trying to do what was right. 
We see that Joseph was trying to remain faithful to God. We see that Joseph had a dream and was rejected by his brothers and his father. We see that Joseph was working hard and doing the right thing in his master's house as a slave. And he's rewarded with time in prison. And Joseph does the unthinkable, in my opinion. He shows up in prison and he says, you know what? I can make this place better. And he starts working. Like, he's like 19, 20 years old. He's just been lied about. He just went before a jury. Um, he's probably been whipped, right? Like, and he gets put in prison. And now he's down there and he starts working. And he starts making things better in prison. And the warden sees it and promotes him. To the point where he is over the entire prison. He's over every prisoner. He's over everything that happens in the prison. It's just like it was in Potiphar's house, but he's in captivity now. And Joseph is in prison for 12 years. We don't really realize that. We don't think about it. He was 17 when he left his father's house. He was sold into slavery. He was placed into prison. And now he's been in prison for, he, he's in prison for 12 total years, but 11 years have passed. He's 28 years old now. And that's kind of the thing that we don't think about when we read this story of Joseph is we don't connect the dots between the amount of time that Joseph suffered while he was in this. While he was living this story that we read through so quickly in Genesis, it took years of Joseph's life where he was sitting there day in and day out, and he was faithful to what God had called him to do. And he doesn't even know what God has called him to do. He doesn't even know if it's still going to happen. He has no clue. He's, he's 28 years old. He's been in prison almost as long as he's been alive. And he is over the prison, and he's sitting there, and the next thing you know, two men show up. There's a cupbearer called the head servant, who makes sure that everything that the Pharaoh drinks is safe, that it tastes good, that it's in the cup that Pharaoh likes. There's the cup bearer who brings in the cup, and then there's the chief baker or the chief cook, the chef, who everything that Pharaoh eats, all the bread, all the meats, he tastes them to make sure that they taste good. He checks them out to make sure that they're not poisoned, and he sets them in front of Pharaoh. These two men show up. They're important men. They're highly trusted by Pharaoh, but they've been put in prison for some reason. And so, 11 years into captivity, at the age of 28 years old, Joseph is over the prison and he meets these two new prisoners and they are distraught. They are, they are panicked, they're in jail, they don't know what's going to happen to them, and two men have two dreams and Joseph shows up and says, boys, what's up? Why are you so upset? And they said, well, we've had a dream, and we don't know what it means. And Joseph says, well, tell me the dreams, and I'll see if I can interpret them, because I serve a God who knows all things. And they tell him their dreams, and one dream from the cupbearer says, in three days you're going to be lifted up and restored to your position. The chefs, the, the chief baker, in three days you're going to be lifted up, but you're going to be killed and your flesh is going to be fed to the birds. So that's not the message that you want to hear when your dream's interpreted, right? So in all of this, Joseph interprets these dreams, and he says to them, boys, listen, 
when you go back before Pharaoh and these dreams come to pass, I'm going to ask that you do one thing for me. I'm going to ask that as you go before Pharaoh that you remember me. Would you please remember me when you go back before Pharaoh? And so in Genesis chapter 40, verse 20, he's interpreted the dreams. He's begged them to remember him. And we, we pick up as they stand before Pharaoh. And it says, On the third day was Pharaoh's birthday, and he gave a feast for all his officials. And he lifted up the heads of the chief cupbearer and the chief baker in the presence of his officials. And he restored the cupbearer to his position so that he once again placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. But he impaled the chief baker just as Joseph had said to them in the interpretation. The chief cupbearer, however, did not remember Joseph, but he forgot him. This was the moment that Joseph was hoping for. This was the moment that Joseph was praying that God would bring. And I imagine that that, that man, the cupbearer, he got brought out of prison, he got taken before Pharaoh, he got restored, and Joseph knew that it would happen. And so the next day he gets up, pep in his step, baby. He's going before Pharaoh, he's getting out of prison. Things are turning up, things are going to look better. But instead, the day passes, and he's still in prison. So the next day he gets up, today's the day that my life is going to change. Pharaoh's going to call me. And again, nothing happens and another day and another day until a week has passed and I know that I would be wondering where my cupbearer friend I, inter- I interpreted his dream truly the only thing I said was dude please remember that I helped you here that I I gave you confidence in what was going to happen. I interpreted this for you. And a week passes and nothing happens. And another week and another week. And now there's a month gone by. And every day he's getting up and he's going about his job. And he's doing his thing. And he's in the middle of the grind. And for a month after month after month, nothing happens. For two years, Joseph sits there in prison wondering why nobody remembered that he was there. Forgotten. Because you see, Joseph, he had done the right thing. He had done everything right. He had been faithful to God the whole time. And I, I can't help but think that in his mind, he replayed it over and over and over. I helped this man, and he forgot me. I was truthful to Potiphar, and he didn't believe me. I did the right thing with his wife and she lied about me. My family didn't want me because I had a dream bigger than what they were comfortable with. My dad is mad at me because I told him that I had a purpose. My brothers sold me into slavery because the only other option was to kill me. Maybe my dreams have been a lie this whole time. Maybe God doesn't have a calling for me. Maybe God doesn't even care. 
two years, every day, Joseph sat there wondering why he was forgotten. You see, the enemy couldn't discourage Joseph. The enemy couldn't distract Joseph. And so the enemy comes up with a plan to destroy him. All of those little discouragements, all of those little things that were whispered into his mind, all of those burdens that he carried around, they come together in a moment of time and it's more than anybody can bear. And Joseph is sitting in prison and he's trying to do his best. And I think about those those little discouragements in my life, the little discouragements in your life, and how they add up, they stack up. I'm unworthy. I am unlovable. I'm not good enough. My dad left me and didn't want anything to do with me. My mom left. She don't want nothing to do with me. My parents are dead. My children are dead. My family is gone. Nobody wants me. I have no talent. I have no skills. I can't do anything. I'm stuck in this cycle. I've got these addictions. I've got these problems. I've got this sinful heart that I can't overcome. And we sit in our bondage, in our prison, for year after year after year, and we feel like we're forgotten. Because the enemy wants to overwhelm and destroy your spirit. And he'll do anything he can to make it happen. And little things happen and you think, I'm strong enough to fight that. But little thing after little thing after little thing will add up. And when you're by yourself, you're never strong enough. And Joseph is sitting there in prison. Two years. He's 30 years old. He's been gone from his father's house for 13 years and he's stuck in prison and he's fighting to keep his faith alive. And you see, there is a man named Pharaoh who's upstairs. Joseph doesn't know Pharaoh. Pharaoh doesn't know Joseph. Two completely disconnected men. But the time that Joseph is down in the dungeon struggling, Pharaoh is having his own problems. Pharaoh's having dreams. Pharaoh has two dreams that he can't interpret. Nobody around him can interpret. Nobody knows what Pharaoh's dreams mean. And he starts to look for somebody to help him with these dreams. And Joseph is fighting for his life, fighting for his faith, struggling every day in prison, and he doesn't know that Pharaoh is looking for somebody just like him. See, Joseph is remembering all of those bad moments of his suffering. Joseph is remembering all of the things that he done right and he was treated wrongly. Joseph is down there remembering and reliving those bad moments. And Pharaoh is upstairs looking for somebody to call up into the royal court. And Joseph has no clue. Joseph is simply trying to make it one more day. And he doesn't know that God is about to pull him out of the darkness and place him before a king to perform a duty that nobody else can do. See, Joseph had purpose. Joseph had a calling in his life that he didn't understand it didn't make sense because the path to your purpose doesn't make sense when you're in the middle of it. Some of us right now, we're at the beginning of that path. Some of us, we're in the middle. Some of us are reaching near the end where we're going to see where it's taking us. But the path to purpose doesn't always make sense. 
And that's okay. You see, if Jacob had not sent Joseph out to check on his brothers, he would have never known that they had moved on from Sechem to go to Dothan. If he had not went to Dothan, there would not have been a merchant train going by, and they would have killed him. But instead, the merchant train passed through by God's providence, and they sold him into slavery. If he would have never went into slavery, he would have never went to Potiphar's house and took over for Potiphar. If he would have never been in Potiphar's house, Potiphar's wife never would have lied about him and got him put into prison. If he had never served in prison for 12 years, he would not have been there when the cupbearer had a dream. And two years after that, he was still waiting in prison when Pharaoh needed somebody to step up and interpret a dream that nobody else understood. And through that, seven years of blessing followed. The Egyptian country was blessed for seven years because after that seven years, the worst famine that they had ever seen was going to take place. And in that famine, his brothers show up because they were hungry. And Joseph was there. And they bowed down before him and they begged for food. And he gave it to them. And in the long run, he says, bring your father here. Bring him here. Because it's my dad too. And he reveals himself to him. And if he had not been in that place at that time, living his purpose, the children of Israel would never have moved into Egypt. They would have starved alone in Canaan. But instead they came in, they had food to eat, Joseph gave them a place to live and they grew into a nation of God's people and when you look back God it makes sense every step of the way I thought I was suffering but you had a plan the whole time you knew where I was going you knew what needed to happen and you brought me here for this moment for this purpose and I see it now because it doesn't always make sense when we're in the middle of it. In the end of the road, it's a lot easier to look back and see where you came from and see how the road curves from one thing to the next. And when Jacob dies and they bury him, the brothers come before Joseph one last time and they lay down in front of him and they say, please forgive us for the sins that we acted against you. When we sold you into slavery, you didn't deserve that. And they apologize. And Joseph had every right. His father was dead. He could have put him to death. He was like second to the king. But instead, we find in verse 20 of chapter 50 that he says, You intended to harm me. But God intended it for good. To accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. You intended it for harm. The enemy intends to harm every time. But God works it for good. And we might not be at the end of our current path right now. We might be somewhere in the middle. We might be just deciding that I'm going to take my first step into my calling, into my purpose with God. I'm taking my first step. 
and we don't know what the path holds in front of us. I don't know where you're at in life right now. Some of us, we're in the middle of a season of blessing. We're in a season of favor. We are serving in the master's house and everything around us is being blessed because of our faithfulness. Some of us, that's what we're, what we're doing. That's where we're at. And then the rest of us, we're stuck in the, we're in the jail. We're, we're in the middle of, of, of a transportation into slavery. We're in a trial. We're in a struggle. We're remembering the bad things. We've got these discouragements coming at us. We're in the middle of a hardship. And it doesn't matter if you're in a season of blessing or in a season of trial. What I can promise you is this. A good work is being done and the best is yet to come. That no matter where you are right now, the best is yet to come. If you've reached the end of your purpose and you're saving the world, that's not even the best. There is something better yet just around the corner. And so the enemy always intends to harm, but God always works things for good. And so if you are in the middle of a trial right now, I want to pray over you. I'm, I, in just a moment, I'm going to finish up and, and we're going to sing another song together. But if you're in the middle of a trial, if you're in the middle of that struggle, if you're in the middle of the discouragement and the distraction, if the enemy is coming to destroy your faith and stacking one thing after another on top of you, I promise you that God is going to work it for good. That there is something more just around the corner that you're in prison right now. But Pharaoh is looking for somebody. And just a little more time, God's going to pull you out. We go through seasons. All in all, Joseph was in Egypt until he was 39 before he met his father again. 22 years he went without his family before he seen his daddy. Sometimes we have to suffer in a foreign land for 22 years, and I don't like to say that. Sometimes it takes time for God's purpose to, to, to bear fruit in our lives. And it's not easy. So if you're underneath that oppression of the enemy, if you're being discouraged and distracted, if the enemy's coming to destroy you in this season of your life, I'm praying that God will send relief, that there will be an uprising of the Holy Spirit in your life, that God will restore you to the place where you're meant to be, that through it all, that there is a purpose for your life that you don't understand where you're going or how you're even gonna get there. But God loves you, and God has intended everything in your life to work for good. And I don't understand how it's supposed to work for good. All I know is that I believe in my heart that God is faithful and God is true, and that if, if we continue to pursue Him, He will deliver us from wherever we're at. And if you haven't taken your first step into your faith, into your calling, if you're not sure, I ask you to try it that Jesus Christ was sent from heaven so that he could bear the sins of this world, that we could have a chance to become right with God, that we could have that relationship with our heavenly Father, that even when our family on earth doesn't understand us, even when our friends reject us, even when we're lied about, when we're falsely testified about, when we're put in prison and we're innocent, that we have a heavenly Father who only wants good for us and it doesn't matter what the enemy throws that God has promised life more abundantly 
so God, I, I just ask that you would bless each person under the sound of my voice this morning, that you would help us to receive in our hearts that you are good, that you intend everything for good, and that the enemy comes to harm. And sometimes we get focused on that, that we spend these years in, in bondage, in prison, in suffering, but you are going to deliver us. God, I thank you for your, for your faithfulness. I thank you for your good promises. I thank you for your love, for the, for the offering of, of forgiveness of our sins for when we have done the wrong thing, God. I pray that you would give us an empowerment that your Holy Spirit would fill us to live a life of righteousness and glorify you in all the things that we do. For my family out here in this building, God, that, that they are in suffering right now, that they are, they are fighting through addiction, they're fighting through a barrenness, they're fighting through a desert wasteland where there is nothing good inside. God, I pray that you would remove them from that. That if you, if you don't remove them, that you would give them encouragement and comfort and say that the best is yet to come. That you are working this time of trial for good. And if there's anybody here that doesn't know you, God, I pray that they would be emboldened to step forward and say, today is the day of salvation. And I know that my life is not what it needs to be, but through you it can be. God, I, I love you and I thank you for your word. I thank you for this opportunity to be here. We ask these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. We're gonna be